antecedent. Our text is found in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 17. We read, And he, that is Christ, is before all things, and by him all things consist. Would you note, please, the text says of Christ, He is before all things. This is a reference to none other than the blessed Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it plainly says, There is not one thing visible or invisible which antedates the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ Himself said, Before Abraham was, I am. John 8, verse 58. The Jews had bound their religious antiquity to Abraham. But in five brief words, Jesus declared that faithful and beloved Abraham was not old enough to be the foundation of their religion. Christ not only antedates all creation, but He is the Creator of all things. The Apostle John says in his Gospel, All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Chapter 1 and verse 3. He not only precedes all things, but He is to have the preeminence in all things. Not only is He prior to all things, but He is to have the priority in all things. All religions other than the one founded by Christ are modern in light of the fact Jesus has neither beginning or end. Jesus was the originator of Judaism, not Moses. And all the ordinances of Judaism are first Christological and secondly Mosaic. Moses, the Bible tells us, was faithful in all of his house. And Christ says to the disciples of Moses, For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me. For he wrote of me. John 5 and verse 46. The author of the book of Hebrews says, Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath built the house hath more honor than the house. Christ is the founder and builder of Judaism. That is why it shall finally and ultimately succeed. He has more honor, though, than that house which he built even Judaism. God, the Bible tells us, hath not cast away His people, that is, the Jews, which He foreknew. Romans 11, verse 2. Judaism will never be merged with New Testament Christianity, but it will one day own Christ, Christ Jesus, to be both Lord and Savior. I will refer to one prophecy of many which clearly and emphatically declares this truth. Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 9. And I will bring the third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say, It is my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. No matter what you may hear to the contrary, beloved, God is not through with Israel. 
Buddhism, Confucianism, Taoism, Mohammedanism, all postdate Judaism and are, in fact, false religions. There was a false Judaism in the days of Christ, and there is a false Christianity in our own day. Second Peter 2, verse 1, There were false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately or secretly shall bring in damnable heresies. So it is, I ask, does the church to which you belong antedate the 16th century Reformation? Does the church in which you have your membership antedate the origin of the Roman Catholic Church, which has its beginning in 303 A.D. at the earliest? What I am asking in the strict sense of the question is, was your church started by the eternal antecedent, that is, the Lord Jesus Christ in the days of His flesh upon earth? If not, then your church is too new to be true. And whatever antiquity it has is but a history of compounding its ill beginning. Christ is eternally perfect and shall never be less than absolute holiness. Perfection cannot be added to nor detracted from. Christ, in starting His church, gave it a perfect foundation. Nothing can be put to it nor nothing taken from it. And in due season, the superstructure which he is building upon that foundation will be everlastingly perfected. Christ is that perfect foundation, and thus it is, Paul says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Ponder that. Just think on that. Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And he had a purpose in giving himself for the church. And we need to remember God's purposes are antecedent to time. We ask, what was that purpose? Well, we answer from the word of God. That he might sanctify and cleanse it, that is the church, with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Ephesians 5, 25, 26, and 27. That, he sh that it should be holy and without blemish. Oh, what gratitude should loom up in our hearts. Oh, what praises should be on our lips for the blessed Lord Jesus Christ, the head of His church and our Savior. Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 14. The wise Solomon says, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it, that men should fear before Him. God's works cannot be improved upon, nor aught diminish from them. For whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. All of God's works issue forth from His omniscient counsel and absolute omnipotence. They are therefore ultimately perfect and unchangeable. Thus it is, Solomon says, Whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. When God redeems a person, saves a person, He gives him a perfect salvation, an unalterable sonship in Christ, and has eternally prepared for that person a home in glory.
Therefore, he who says a person can be saved by the shed blood of Christ and in some way thereafter loses salvation, apostatize, and finally be lost, that person who says that very word denies the manifold scriptures which clearly state the wonderful truth of the preservation of the saints. None, none in all of Holy Writ, not a word that even infers to the contrary. Such a person who says that a man can be saved and then lost is confused. And God is not the author of confusion, but He is the author of decency and order. Note, God is omniscient. Therefore, discovery is alien to Him. Defeat is alien to His sovereignty. Departure is alien to His omnipresence. So there is nothing new to the eternal antecedent, nothing which can oppose sovereign antecedents, and nothing can escape the antecedent omnipresence of the eternal and everlasting God. The supreme purpose for church assembly is to praise God for making His church the beneficiary of His great and wonderful works. And there are three primary things relating to God's works that I want us to be constantly and acutely aware of. God's works are eternal and therefore antecedent to all of man's works. God's works are absolutely perfect and are therefore executed with infallible precision. Thirdly, man is responsible to appropriate and appreciate the wonderful works of God. Now, let us consider God's work in their eternal and antecedent aspect. In Genesis 1 and verse 26, And God said, Let us make man. He had to antedate man in order to create man. But let us look behind this statement and see what God had done ere He ever said, Let us make man. That is, see what He had done antecedent to and for man's entry into and upon the earth. Everywhere God is first. In the Psalms of David we read, Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, Behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Psalm 139, 5-10. Man's back background, man's present ground, and man's foreground are all under the antecedent power of Almighty God. For it is in Him we live, we move, and have our being. God was in the Garden of Eden before Adam was ever created. Ere Adam came on the scene, God had prepared the earth for him. What do we see ere we ever hear God say, Let us make man? We see the firmament, the sun and the moon and the stars are already sending their wonderful light and warmth upon the earth. The oceans and the seas with their living creatures are already 
a part of the pristine or uncorrupted earth. The Lord had laid a beautiful carpet of soft green grass upon the earth, and out of this grass grew the fruit and herb yielding trees and plants, while above flew the fowls of the air with the plumage of the rainbow. Into this palatial and sumptuous earth man consciously enters. All is in readiness, nothing is lacking, and we hear God say to man, Have dominion. Let us read Psalm 8, 6. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hand. Thou hast put all things under his feet. It is, it is as if God said, Adam, here is a perfect earth. Take charge. Man cannot and needs not to add anything. Harmony prevails throughout. There is not a single discordant note to be heard in all of the earth. The earth is finished and furnished with everything necessary for the eternal happiness of man. Before Adam is the pathway of exquisite joy. Behind Adam stands the exclusive antecedent, the one God, the first great cause. Before Adam can say, I thirst, there is the rippling brook waiting to quench his thirst. Ere he realizes an appetite, God has stocked the earth with endless bounty. The earth bows at Adam's feet and says, I am thy servant. Adam is the earth's first homesteader. But there is a government higher than that of Adam. And it is from this government that Adam has acquired the land, the purest land grant ever made. And this government informs Adam that there is a homestead law that he needs to be acutely aware of. There is a single exemption, one condition. There is one tree in this vast orchard that you are not to eat of or from. Genesis two fifteen through 17 And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil Thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Adam's positive responsibility was to dress and keep the garden. His negative responsibility was to stay away from the one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If the Christian will discharge his positive obligation, he will not need to worry about his negative responsibility. If he will be consistent in his church attendance, Bible study, prayer, and stewardship, he will not need to worry about lying, stealing, fornication, drunkenness, etc., etc. We read of Adam's failure in three small but very sad words. The Bible says in Genesis 3 and verse 6, He did eat. Adam disobeyed God and brought the threatened curse upon himself and upon all of his posterity. Paul tells us in Romans 5.18, By one offense, that is Adam's offense, by one offense judgment came upon all men to condemnation. He further says, Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. No exception. All of Adam's 
posterity has sinned against God. The earth under the curse is laid waste. Thorns and thistles now choke out the life-giving vegetation. Animal domestication takes leave of the earth. And now the lion lies in wait for the man. And man begins his accelerated trek back to the dust from whence he came. Did God create the earth in vain? Has his plans and purposes for the earth and for man run amok or miscarried? What about all this disarray? Our answer to these questions is found in the heading of our first point, which is, God's works are eternal and therefore antecedent to all a man's work. He created it, not in vain. Isaiah 45 and 18. Adam's transgression did not upset God's emotional stability. God was not surprised or astonished by Adam's rebellion. Confusion and omniscience are eternal strangers and antagonistically exclusive. If you permit me to borrow a slang statement from the world, I will be able to express more clearly what Arminianism teaches about God and His actions regarding Adam's sin. Their thought is that Adam pulled the plug on all of God's programs and all of His plans went down the tube. And now there is an emergency meeting called in heaven. The Trinity gets together to see if they can get out of the terrible dilemma Adam has put them in. Beloved, that is rank blasphemy. There has never been an emergency situation with God. God has never known a dilemma. There are no cases for God to solve, much less a hard case. Not a single plan of God has ever been aborted. None of His thoughts have ever run amiss. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. In Psalm 90, verse 2 and 3, we read, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou turnest men to destruction, and sayest, Return, ye children of men. Let us repeat this word. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. God is the antecedent with the eternal antidote for Adam's sin. And this antidote is effectual for all of Adam's children to whom it is applied. And this blessed remedy antedates Adam's transgression by infinite duration. The cure for man's sin, sickness, and death is in God's sacrifice of Himself on Calvary. And this came to pass in the mind of God. Long ere Adam sinned, and Christ's death on Calvary was no more real to God 2,000 years ago than it was from all eternity. Our God says, I am the Lord, I change not. Malachi 3.6 Adam's sin changed Adam, not God. Revelation 13.8 Christ is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20 Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you.
Note, foreordained before the foundation of the world. That is a reference to the eternal and unconditional covenant of sovereign election. Let us note, Hebrews 5 verse 9 says, Christ is the author of eternal salvation. Hebrews 9 12, He obtained an eternal redemption for us. Hebrews 9 15, he, it says, The believer's inheritance is eternal. And Ephesians 1 11, According as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. All of God's works precede, preceded ours by an infinite duration. And the believer rejoices in this great truth saying, We love Him because He first loved us. How ancient is God's love? It is an eternal love. We live because He first lived. We resist evil because He first resisted evil for us. We help the children of God because He first helped us. We go up to heaven to live eternally because He first came down to earth to die the eternal death due and owing unto us. And Christ speaks to comfort the believers, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. O glorious antecedent, O blessed God, for having determined Ere there was time, ere time was even conceived in the womb of eternity, God determined to save a people by His self, that is, by the offering up of Himself in their room and in their stead. Beloved, the eternal Christ is the answer to man's sin question. May God bless you. Amen.